Welcome to the Language Games Podcast. My name is John Kaus, and today is part two of our Defending Young Earth Creation series. In the previous session, we defined what it means for a doctrine to be plainly taught in the Bible. One additional point should be noted about this. There's a difference between showing and proving. This series is not a matter of proving that the Bible teaches a young earth. It is a matter of showing it. When something is plain to see, whether in nature or in language, the only way to defend this plainness is to display it. This is a picture that my local weatherman took and then tweeted this. Wow, spectacular sunset seen tonight from hashtag Mankato, Minnesota. Did this weatherman have to reason through why the sunset was spectacular? No, he just had to see it. The beauty of sunsets are plain to the sight. It would be an insult to this plainness to ask for a proof. How would you help someone who denied the beauty of a sunset? Probably by showing him more sunsets. Or perhaps you would show him flowers in bloom, or a waterfall, or a starry sky. The error is not in the witness, but in the receiver. Wait, so you're telling me then that you're not going to provide an argument in this series? No, I'm going to try to open your eyes. I'm going to show you the plainness of a young earth in scripture. All right, well, it wouldn't be of much value to show the plainness of a young earth if we didn't know what young earth meant. And so now we're going to define what young earth creation is, which I have selected seven core doctrines to a young earth. Now, surprisingly, when I researched some materials both online and in book form, I couldn't find a clear list of the essential doctrines of a young earth from the main young earth uh, publications and organizations. Now, the seven that I picked seem to cover the main tenets of a young earth position. All seven doctrines are defended at length in the young earth literature. And if you hold these seven, then you're going to hold everything else that comes with a young earth. So the first one is the days of creation were 24 hour days. Second, God directly created all creatures as fixed kinds. Third, Adam and Eve are the parents of the human race. Fourth, creation was created good, free of sin's effects. Five, order of events in days one through six is chronological. Six, universe is 6,000 to 10,000 years old. And seven, the flood covered the entire earth. All right, so now we're going to go through and start showing the plainness of these seven doctrines. The first one, the days of the creation were 24-hour days. So we start here in Genesis 1-5, and we're going to move all the way then to Genesis 2-4. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now notice we have two uses of day in this verse. So we have light, day, obviously this is the daylight time, the daytime, and then we have evening and morning, where this were also the first day, which is the second use. This is a 24-hour day. So two uses here in this verse. And then if we put up the other translations, we'll notice that the NASB, in contrast to the other four, says one day. The other ones say the first day. But this really isn't, this doesn't affect the argument at all. They could all read one day, and it changes nothing. It is still clearly a 24-hour day, and clearly the first day, given the order of the narrative. Now, also, with all the other translations using the first day, I think we should say that the first day is the the preferred rendering of the Hebrew here. 
All right, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect, affect the argument. All right, and then the New Living Translation. So then we go to the next verse, 1-8. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, notice how this is just going to be continually repeated for days 1 through 6. Now, evening and morning will be used consistently through for second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, and sixth day. I'm not going to read through each translation because they they all agree. You can stop the video if you want and, and check, but they all agree. In fact, in, and they all agree in doctrines 1 through 7. It's not just here. It's throughout Scripture on these seven doctrines. All right, then we go to verse 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 19, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Verse 23, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Then we go to 2.2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Now, some people will say, well, seventh day is different than the other six, but we'll, we'll, we'll address that soon. Then we get to 2.3, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. 2.4, and this is now our third use of the term day. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made. So this is the third, third use, and, that, and that's continued on through the rest of the, the translations. I notice this third use now is the indefinite period of time. And so if you look back at these verses, we have three different uses, and they're all very clearly marked. Okay, Children can read through uh, these passages, and they have no difficulty whatsoever in differentiating which use is, is, is being used in that, in that verse. All right, so someone says, well, wait a minute, there's, there's no closing to the seventh day. So doesn't that affect the argument? Well, I'm not sure why God left off evening and morning to the seventh day, but the lack of evening and morning does not imply that there was no closing to this day. Even if we had nothing else to go on, it would be unnatural to conclude that this day was longer than 24 hours. And it surely does not change days one through six being 24 hours, given just the description of day seven is God's resting from the work that he did in days one, th one through six. So we do, however, though, have commentary on this in Exodus. Exodus 20, 11, For in six days the Lord uh, made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. And then this is the same for the, the other, other verses. Exodus 20, 11 is, is describing the Sabbath and uh, contrasting it to the first six days of the creation. Notice in the contrast is not in the length of the day, but in the nature of the day. Also notice that the creation week is to be a model for our work week. If day seven were not 24 hours in the creation week, then the model would break down. All right, so someone says, all right, what about the three days and three nights? You know, the Bible uses this expression, three days and three nights. Well, what about that? Well, what about it? Well, this figure of speech, you know, does, does not require three literal days, even though it, it says three days. Okay, and why is that relevant? The term day used in this phrase is either three daylight periods, three 24-hour days, or three indefinite periods of time, or just an indefinite period of time. 
Regardless which is correct, how is this relevant to our reading of Genesis 1 and 2? It isn't. This expression is not used in Genesis 1 and 2, but in Jonah and the Gospel of Matthew. And clearly, in Jonah and the Gospel of Matthew, not used as a commentary on the creation days. All right, what about the day of the Lord? What about it? Well, day here could be long periods of time. Well, if by long you mean millions of years, surely it cannot mean that. If by long you mean thousands of years, I doubt that the expression would allow even for this length of time. But even if it did, how is this relevant? Are the uses of day of the Lord used to comment on Genesis 1 and 2? No, they mostly refer to the day of God's judgment. The expression day of the Lord is perfectly consistent with our reading of Genesis 1 and 2. Ah, but what about, you know, uh, a day with God is like a thousand years, you know, so then the Genesis days are billions of years. Okay, (laughs) this is comical at, at this point. You left off the other half of the phrase. A day is like a thousand years with God and a thousand years are like a day. What is this teaching? Clearly that God is timeless. What else could it be teaching? To infer from this phrase that the creation days were billions of years is silly. We, we get further support of our reading of the days in Genesis 1 through, or the days 1 through 7, from Psalm 33, verse 9. For he spake, and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. Everywhere the Bible speaks about the length of creation, it directly contradicts God creating over billions of years. Nowhere in Scripture does it, does it teach billions of years. It teaches the opposite. Everywhere it speaks, it speaks the opposite. Therefore, Doctrine 1 is plainly taught in the Bible. Next week, we'll move on to Doctrine 2. For more content like this, you can find us on Twitter at underscore language games. See you next time.